Glad you all are with us today. I want you to think back. Think back to your life in Christ. There are many of us here today, and we all have a unique story, and that's to be expected. I have a friend who was preaching in Manhattan, Kansas. He would say that if you were to ask him that he was jerked up in the church, meaning that when he was younger, he didn't have much of a choice. It was just that the family got ready on Sunday mornings, and they just did what they did. Sunday morning, Sunday night. Some of us, that's the way it is. Some of us, it's we became a Christian later in life. Maybe we didn't grow up in a Christian household. But maybe there was a good friend who invited us. And we started searching and started studying. And we decided that we needed to follow Christ. And so we obeyed the gospel of Christ. Our stories are unique and they'd be great to share with one another. But there's always, always something else that along our Christian walk. And that is, after a Christian walk, some, as we begin it, rather, sometimes we think that everything's going to be great. And we want to live on the mountaintop experience. We are excited. We're a Christian now. Everything's going well, only to find out that maybe things don't always go well just because we're a Christian. In fact, we do have struggles. One preacher said, and I forget if it was Trey Morgan or if it was someone else at Red River several years ago, that said one fact of your Christian life is going to be true. Either you're getting ready to go into a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you're just coming out of a storm. And those storms will be as varied as we are. But they will have some commonality with them. They will not be unique in what they do. Some people will rise up to the occasion and they will meet that storm head on and they will come through that storm successfully. Others, unfortunately, will not. Bart Ehrman was, grew up in a Anglican background, I believe, became an evangelical, went to Moody Bible Institute, became student of Koine Greek and biblical languages and then he lost his faith. He's noted on Wikipedia as an agnostic slash atheist. I don't know what, how he would term himself. I haven't had the opportunity to ask him. I'm not listening to the things that he's saying about his journey. But he notes that what happened, or it's noted about the background of him, is that seeing the problem of evil and suffering in the world, that changed his mind about the existence of God. And I think many people think that way sometimes. Many Christians go through struggles and they lose their faith. Struggles are common to everyone. God sends his rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. His sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, there is going to be something that's going to happen. Not every one of us is going to go through necessarily some of the struggles that others do. But there are some things we will all face. We will all face changes in health. We will all face the death of a loved one. Sometimes, depending on that loved one and the age that we are, it can shatter us. Or it can shape us. It can shape us for good. Or sadly, it will shape us 
for a loss of faith. I want to talk about faith, something I read in Romans, and I'll get to that momentarily, but I just want to continue to draw this out so that you know where I'm coming from. When we talk about struggles in life, we frequently think about the book of Job. I had Job marked here. And in Job chapter 1, just to summarize so I don't take all this time to get into it. And by the way, I didn't look at the clock, so I just now did, so it's 11, so that's when I'm starting. Uh, Okay? We know that Job was a successful man. And in fact, the very first, you know, five verses tells us about how the extent of his family and the extent of his wealth. He was a godly man. And he would offer sacrifices for his sons and daughters just in case they might have sinned. Well, one day... And I don't know how this was, but it was in heaven. And Satan appears before the throne of God with the angels. And God asks him, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And basically Satan says, Well, why not? You've built a hedge around him. You've given him everything he could want. But if you take that away from him, he will curse you to your face. And God says, I don't think he will. So Satan, you go right ahead and you can take everything that he has. You just can't touch him. Job is thrown into poverty and the loss of all of his children. They all died. And then Satan comes back before God the next day, another day, presenting themselves as the angels were before the Lord. And he says, where have you been, Satan? Where do you come from? Well, I've been wandering about to and fro on the earth. And if you consider my servant Job, you ask me this, and I let you take all that he had. I'm paraphrasing and adding to it a little bit, if you will, for dramatic effect. But anyway, he says, I've done everything you've asked. I let you take everything that he had, and every one of his children. He didn't do what you said. He's still faithful to me, Satan. Well, Satan answered, verse 4 of chapter 2, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, He will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand, only spare his life. And so he was struck, Job was struck with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. He was in bad shape. All of this discouragement with the loss of her family as well and her wealth and Job's health conditions now, his wife couldn't handle it. And she said to Job, verse 9, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. You know, at one time, several years ago, as we dealt with Matthew's death, and we were reading books, and Kathy was reading a book by Zig Ziglar. I read the book as well. And it says, Why? We all ask the question, why? Why do bad things happen to good people was a book by Rabbi Rabbi Harold Kushner several years ago. We want to know why. Why me, Lord? And I told Kathy, I said, I think I'll write a book one day. The title will be Why Not? Because why, just because I'm a Christian, should I not go through things? Why should I be immune to to the storms of life and the things that... Attack me and attack my faith. 
There's no reason why they, I should be immune. Just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I'm immune. Well, we'll get to some of those thoughts momentarily, but now I want to turn your attention to the man named Abraham to show you, because he too was a man, just like we are, and he too went through struggles. And Paul will tell us in Romans 4, I think, how he overcame his struggles. Now, it's in the context of our being justified by faith in Romans chapter 4. But I just want to remind you of Abraham's history with God. And it was in chapter 12 that God called Abraham. God said to him, go from your country, from your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonored you. I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, I would really like to know how this happened. Because just to read it there, you know there's a lot of backstory. I mean, was it a burning bush like Moses saw in Exodus chapter 3? What got Abraham's attention? I don't know. What caused him to listen? I don't know. We know that Moses saw a bush that was on fire. It was burning, but the bush wasn't consumed. And so as he walked close to it, he gets up to it and he hears a voice. Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. Was that something that Abraham saw? Had How did God? I'd like to know. But we're not told that. We're just told that God called him, made a promise, and Abraham goes home and tells Sarah we're moving. Now, that had to be an interesting scenario there as well. Because I know if I told Kathy, you know, pack up, I've ordered the moving van, it'll be here tomorrow, we're moving. And she'd want to know where and what we're going to do, and all of those things, where she was going to hang what pictures and what room. She'd want to know all this stuff. I imagine that Sarah went through some of those same things. But it just says, Abraham went, as the Lord told him. And he takes his family with them. Now, God has promised to bless him, make him a great nation, and through his seed, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed, right? They get to Egypt because there's a famine in the land, or because of a famine in the land, they go down to Egypt. And now he's not thinking of the promises of God because he says, oh, these people are going to see that my wife is beautiful. So he tells Sarah, you tell them you're my sister, verse 13 of chapter 12, that my life may be spared. And so that's what she says. Well, Pharaoh, uh, she's taken to his house because why? She thinks he's Abraham's sister, that she's a free woman that she can marry. Maybe he wants her to. Add to his harem, his wife. But God says, and afflicted Pharaoh with plagues. Abraham would take a little while to learn to truly trust God. But he trusted God enough to leave his homeland, and all of his family, his father's house, and go to a land that God had not yet shown him. Now we're going to jump forward a little bit of time because... Some time has passed. Now, Abraham, keep in mind, was 75 years of age. He had no children yet. Abraham would have been, or Sarah would have been 65 years of age and had no children. She was barren. But in chapter 15, it says here, God came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And Abraham's thinking, Abram's thinking, Really? And why do I say it that way? Because of what he says. 
O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. The heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, you've given me no offspring. A member of my household, a member of my household will be my heir. Said, Lord, you made a promise to me and you haven't fulfilled it. Why did I even come? I don't know that he said that. But, you know, that's wouldn't that be on your mind? You made me this promise. Why, Lord, haven't you fulfilled it? So Abraham, God tells him, look toward heaven. Number the stars if you're able. So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And we know from this chapter that God had told him to make a sacrifice to get the animals ready. That was the sealing of a covenant between God and Abraham. Not only was this a promise, this was a covenantal promise. Abraham still had some struggles. He knows he's going to have children now. And so sometimes it is with man that they want to fix what God is slow on doing. So in chapter 16, and I have no way of knowing how much longer transpired here, but it's getting close to now, you know, another 25 years have transpired. None of God's promises so far in this regard have come to pass. It says, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. I guess this was going to be the first example of a surrogate wife, surrogate mother. They didn't have the medical technology to do it the way we do today. And this was the common practice of the region, apparently. And so that's what they do. Now, they were trying to fix what God had not given them. Maybe because he was in the middle of a storm and questioning what's going on. We thought, well, maybe this is the solution. The people of the area do it, so it'll be okay. And we get over to chapter 17. Time is still past. Abraham has a child, but it's Ishmael. God gives them the covenant of circumcision. This is to identify them as God's people, seed of Abraham. But in chapter 17 and verse 15, it says, And God said to Abraham, because he's changed their names now, Sarah, Sarai, Abram to Abraham. He says, Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. I'm thinking Abraham's thinking this. I've heard this promise before. I just don't know that it's going to come to pass. He said, I've heard it. And he says to God, he fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Might he be your chosen one? Lord, you've given me this child, Ishmael. Could he be the one that you'll bless me through? And God says, No, nothing doing. My words, I've added that. No. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Don't worry about Ishmael. I'm paraphrasing. I'm taking it on down to summarize. Ishmael is going to be taken care of. Don't worry about him. So he knows that he's going to have a son. It's been a promise. It hasn't come to pass. And then in chapter 18, God appears with two of his angels 
And this is where Abraham will intercede for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But he makes the promise, and he says, about a year from this time, this time next year, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. She hears it, and she laughs. It's interesting that they both laughed, because Isaac's name, of course, means laughter. God wanted them to remember their laughter, and that he was faithful to his promises. You know, he dealt with these struggles, the promises that God made him. And then we move over to chapter 22. And this is where I think Abraham's faith had more fully developed. And he was ready to throw it all in. Go all in for God, if you will. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And Abraham just did that. I would like to know the conversation that he had with Sarah. Did they have a conversation? Did he just say, Sarah, Isaac and I are going to go over to the mountain over here. We're going to offer a sacrifice. And not even bother to burden her with what he was going to do. Thinking that she might dissuade him of these actions. I don't know. It would be interesting to know. And maybe someday we will. Right? But that's the way it was panning out. So they go there. Abraham puts the Isaac on the altar. Uh, Isaac's asked him, where's the sacrificial animal, Father? He says, God will provide. Somewhere along that line, Abraham and Isaac had a chat. I don't know the nature of that chat, but they had a conversation. And I think Abraham just said, Isaac, trust me. God made me a promise. He made me several promises. He promised you, and he promised that you would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. Through your seed, we're going to trust him. Isaac was offered on the altar. And before Abraham could complete the sacrificial offering, God stopped his hand and there was a goat, a ram caught in a thicket. And they offered that as the burnt offering. Now, the Hebrew writer will tell us in chapter 11, I think it's verse 17 or 19, that Abraham expected to see erection, resurrection because he believed that God, since he could make a man who is a hundred and a woman who is ninety have a child, that he was able to give him Isaac back, to raise him from the dead, because that's what he did to Abraham. That's what he did to Sarah. Now, where am I going with all of this? Well, I'll tell you. In Romans chapter 4, in Romans chapter 4, Paul has already put the world under indictment because of sin. And in chapter 3, he tells us, you know, the wages of sin is death. Uh, you know, he tells us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death is in chapter 6. Uh, but he says, here's his righteousness. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus was put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That God would justify us by faith in Christ. That he would be just in forgiving the sins under the law in Christ. Because in his mind, all of the sacrificial animals that were offered, they were representative of Christ. The Old Testament, they couldn't have faith in Christ because he hadn't been born. But we could have. And so he says that we're justified by faith apart from works of the law. And so in chapter 4, 
He says, what shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. First mentioned in Genesis chapter 15. When Abraham was taken out and God said, look at all the stars and number them if you can. That's how many heirs you will have. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. When he offered Isaac his son, the same thing. He was reckoned as righteous because he responded. I think we even go back to Genesis 12 and say he believed God and he reckoned as righteousness. Now, it took some steps along the way. Now, where am I going with this? Well, we also have problems, don't we? We go through issues sometimes. I imagine that Abraham sometimes might have been depressed because he had no child and Sarah had no child. I wonder if they cried at night on one one another's shoulders. God still hasn't given us a child like he promised. Is God really going to do this as they go through things? But as I was reading the book of Romans the other day, in chapter 4 it hit me. And it was in verse 17 and following. He says, Abraham being the father of us all, verse 16, the end of it. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. Power of God. He calls into things into existence. He created this world and the universe and all things in it with the word of his mouth. But in verse 18 is the key. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or even considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised fully convinced that God was able to do hope against hope. Well, what does that mean? His hope was placed in God, not in himself. His earthly hope said, there's no way I'm a hundred years old. Hundred year old men don't have children. Ninety year old women don't have children. He hoped in God against the hope of himself and against the circumstances in which he lived. And that's, What we must do when we face those storms, whether we're going to go into it soon or whether in the middle of it or whether we're coming out of it, we have to have that hope against hope itself. You know, in Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower, Jesus told about four types of soil. There was the pathway, the bird snatched it up. There was the rocky ground and it gave root, but it scorched out, it died quickly. There was the thorny ground. And the thorns choked out the word. But there was the good ground. And it produced fruit. Some hundred, some sixty, some thirtyfold. When he explained it, this is what he said. The so, that w- which was sown along the path, the rocky ground, is the one who receives the word, hears it, immediately receives it with joy. It's a genuine conversion. Somebody comes to Christ and they know this is true. They love it. They love Christ, yet he has no firm root in himself. 
but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the world, immediately he falls away. There are things that are going on that we don't have to face, fortunately, but there are also little things that we do, you know, where people may mock us for our faith. And that hurts and makes some want to give up. We have to have firm root so that when these things happen that we don't fall away. What was sown on the thorns heard the word. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and it proved unfruitful. You throw some seed into a garden, it's going to grow, but the weeds are going to grow right along with it. And eventually, if you're not taking those weeds out, they're going to choke out that good seed. Because there's too much competition. And that's the way it is with some people. They get so focused on how life has affected them, they take their eyes off God and off of His promises. The seed that bears fruit, some hundred, some sixty, some thirty-fold, is that which focuses on God and says, you're with me. Shall we expect good things and not bad, as Job put it? Or shall we, you know, curse God and die? That's what Job's wife said to do. You know, another troubling passage sometimes we think about as we look at the life of Abraham and his faith a challenging one in James chapter 1 and verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I'm not joyful about the trial, but I'm joyful about coming through that trial. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That steadfastness may have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Peter would allude to it in this fashion in First Peter chapter 1 uh, in verse 7. Or verse 6, the end of it. If necessary, grieve by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus. And though you have not seen him, you love him. Now you do not see him now. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Abraham... Felt just like you and I do when challenged in his walk with God. For 25 years after God's call of him and said, I'll make you a great nation. He had to wait and endure until God gave him his son, Isaac. He and Sarah even said, let's do it this way. And he said, okay, let's try. Maybe God will accept it. Maybe he will be the one, and God's wanted it this way all along. And God said, no, it's going to be Sarah. And he comes and he confirms that. It's going to be Sarah about a year from now. And it came to pass. He was going through the storm, going into the storm, as he was called. Pharaoh was that first storm. He should have trusted God right then, but we can say that with scriptural hindsight, right? He should have trusted God right then. I don't know how he's going to get me out of this mess, but I trust him to do it. He got him through it to the point when he had enough faith that when God said, Abraham, I want you and Isaac to go up on this mountain. We're going to have a sacrifice and your son is going to be the offering. And he trusted God enough to do it. Abraham had hope. Not in himself, but hope in God. So in hope against hope, he followed God. He believed 
in God who gives life to the, to the dead, calls into existence things that do not exist. He believed God's promises. And God has said to us, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13. He's promised us in the book of Romans that nothing shall separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Not anything. So whether you're heading into a storm or in the middle of a storm today or coming out of a storm, your hope has to be in Christ. My hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. That's where it is. And so in the midst of your trials that you're going through and you don't have answers to the question, hold on to that hope that you have in Christ. And so to do that, we look to the reality of the empty tomb. Soon it will be Easter Sunday and we'll be celebrating the resurrection of Christ. When we look at the empty tomb, we know God has spoken forever because the tomb is empty. He made a promise. And because of our faith in Christ, he's made a promise to us as well. In fact, Hebrew mindset in this, whatever was said to Abraham, the blessings that were his would also transpire and filter down to them as well. I think that's what Paul was saying as he says and concludes chapter four of Romans that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised him, who raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Where's your hope? If it's in this world, if it's in you, it's in the wrong place. Your hope has to be on Christ upon the Son of God, and on the empty tomb that proves that He's the Son of God. Now, I don't know where you are today, but I know one thing that's true. You're either facing a storm coming up, you're in the storm right now, or you just got out of one. I don't know the time frames of those, but they've been there, because that's the nature of life. Where's your hope? If you have come through a storm successfully and you want to come and praise God for that, or if you're in the middle of a storm and you want to come and ask for prayers of the saints so that you are strengthened to believe in the hope that you placed in Christ years ago, I want you both to come forward. We'll always stand and sing this song for your encouragement. Jesus' blood and righteousness.